Um, we are right, if it's your first time here, I want to thank you so much for being here. We're right in the middle of a series called Wilderness. And wilderness is, 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 is a very, if you didn't grow up in church um, or you know, you've been out of church for a while or, you know, you, the Bible hasn't been a big part of your life, uh, you may be unaware, but the idea of the wilderness or the idea of the desert uh, is a significant part of Scripture, it's a significant part of every believer's walk with Jesus. It's something that, that we, we, it, it gets ignored a lot of times. It's not something people want to talk about because it's not, it's, not, it's not fun. Nobody's like heading into the wilderness with popcorn and a Coke excited about what's to happen. I mean, but it, it, it's some of the most powerful moments we will ever face in this life. Um, and and we, we've started this series. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy. It says this, and I just want to read this really fast. In Deuteronomy 8, 16, it says, Who fed you in the, talking about God, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and prove you to do you good in the end. This was, this was God's explanation to why he takes us into the wilderness and why even things that he doesn't set up, even things that he doesn't plan, why he uses the troubled times uh, in our lives to, to do us good in the end, to humble us and to prove you. And you can't look at that. Some of your translations will say test. And you can't look at that like pass and fail. All right, you have to, it's, it's, it's prove, it's, it's, it's a testing to expose a weakness so that God can prove you, make you better, make you stronger, make you more prepared, expose idols in your life, expose sins in your life, expose weaknesses in your life so he can become that strength and, and that we can build a trust in God and humble us so that when we get ultimately, ultimately what this series is about is when we get to that place as that first generation did, when God brought them out of Egypt and they crossed the desert and they got to the promised land and God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this land. I'm going to lay it out. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. It's, just, it's, it's great. I'm going to give my people this land. And when they got there to that moment, after they saw all, the, all that God did in the Old Testament, all that God did uh, in Egypt, all the, all the miracles he performed, the, 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 the plagues, he separated the waters, he destroyed their enemies, their fair, he provided for them every day since then. And now they showed up here and they see the promised land, they send people into the promised land and they come back and they say, it's everything God said it was. It's this crazy, powerful, amazing thing. They said, but, but there's these enemies. And there's these big, big cities and there's these giant walls and they've got more weapons and they've got more experience and they've got more, more everything. They've got more technology. They've got, they've got every, in every single way, they are bigger than us, better than us, stronger than us. And when we, if we go over there, they're going to kill us. And so after all this, they get right here. They're standing on the bank of the Jordan. They're staring the promised land in the face. And it's everything God said it was. After all this, all this time of God performing and revealing himself and proving himself, they stand right here. And they did not proceed down the path God had for them. And it got to such a dramatic moment that literally the Bible says that, that Moses and Aaron, they laid down on the ground and they just were screaming and begging the people, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't go back to the desert. Don't go back to Egypt. Let's just proceed across. He says, yes, they're big. Yeah, the armies are big. Yeah. He said, but God is with us. He said, their protection is now gone because God is with us. If we just proceed, if we just go, if we just cross over, God will provide. God will hand them into our hands. But they didn't. They chose to go back to the desert. And so for the next, that took two years from Egypt there. For the next 38 years, God kept them out in the wilderness to prove them, to humble them, to prove them, to prepare them so that the second generation, when they stand at the same banks, that they walk into the promised land. And so we've gone through some of the things, that, and, and Paul picks this up in Corinthians. And he, he makes something, a very, and this is a powerful statement that we have to remember. He says that everything that happened, Everything that happened to the people of Israel, everything that happened to them in the desert, everything that happened to them to the wilderness. And he goes through and he mentions some in chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And he comes down, he says, it's all examples and they've been written down for our instruction. 
so that when we, we can learn from them, so that we can, we can learn those lessons, so that we can be prepared, so that we can go through, so that we know. We know when we come to those places in our lives, when we come to those seasons in our life, when we face tragedy, we don't run away from God's plan. When we face uh, difficulty, we don't run away from God's plan. When we, when we face seasons of lack and seasons of attack, we don't run away from God's plans. When, when the water runs dry, we don't run away in defeat. Do you, do you know that the thing that, that, that the pattern of the people of Israel, if you go through, they had this, this what I call it a declaration of death. Every time there was a season of lack, every time there was an attack, every time there was something that come against them, despite all that God had done in the past, they immediately looked at their circumstances and they allowed their circumstances to continually redefine who God was to them instead of continually looking to God and allowing God to define the circumstances that they were in. And so they would look at this problem or they would look at these imperfections or they would look at this lack of food or look at this lack of water and then they would immediately profess, we're all going to die in the desert. Today's the day we all die. Over and over and over again, instead of proceeding, they just stopped and they complained and they bickered and they blamed and they quarreled and they tested God and they questioned him and they never put their trust in him. And ultimately, when they stood on the bank, they did not proceed across. And this is something that, that I, I, a lesson, this is something that God tried to teach them over and over. And he did. He showed them over and over and over again. And there's a, there's a principle within this. And I'm just going to say it like this. And I want to I want to show this to you because this is a powerful, powerful thing that exists all, not just in the desert, not just in the wilderness with the people of Israel, but all throughout Scripture. We see this idea that it is in the proceeding down the path that God has us on that God will provide for us. It's proceeding despite the circumstances that God will provide. And you can see this all the way through Scripture. You go all the way to Abraham. All right, Abraham, when God raised up Abraham and he, he gave him these promises and he laid this out and he says, and to prove what I'm saying to you, he says, I'm going to give you a son and I want you to name him Isaac. And he's old. And he was so old that the wife laughed. And, uh, you know, everybody's like, well, she was laughing because she didn't have faith in God. I think she was laughing because they probably quit doing what needs to be done years. Everybody's like, she's so faithless. And I'm like, well, she was, she, she's probably, <laughs> it's going to be a miracle. That's for sure. And so they're, they're sitting there, but, and, and, and years and years and years go by, and finally Isaac, they, God gives, and he provides Isaac. And then there's this, there's this crazy moment where God goes to Abraham, and he asks him, and never before and never after has God ever asked a human being to do this, but he came to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I need you to take Isaac to the top of the mountain, and I need you to lay down his life for me. I need you to take the life of your own son for me. And Abraham wrestled with this and struggled with this, but he eventually got the wood and he got the stuff to make a fire and he got the knife and he walked Isaac up and he bound him up and he laid him on the altar and he proceeded all the way to the point of lifting the knife in the air. In that moment, God stopped his hand and said, don't touch the boy. And he began to lay out why he did this and he provided a ram in the thicket as the sacrifice. And it began to pave the way for Jesus Christ himself when God giving up and laying down the life of Christ for all of humanity. But it was in the proceeding up the mountain. I mean, there's a bunch of us that would love God, know God, trust God on some extent. But when we come down to that moment, there's a lot of things in our lives. Forget our children. There's a lot of other less important things in our lives. If God said, walk up that mountain and lay it down for me, we wouldn't do it. But it's in the proceeding. It's in the proceeding up that God provides. David's entire life 
is this pattern played out over and over and over and over again. God only was able to hand Goliath in victory over to David because David proceeded out onto the battlefield. When everybody else stood there in fear and everybody else stood there trembling and everybody else, David was the only one that proceeded. It's in the proceeding. You can never win a battle or taste victory that you don't ever fight. God promises victory time and time again, but he never promised victory without a fight. It's in the proceeding that God provides. But it wasn't just in this. David, over and over and over again, God, ladies, says, I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to make you king. This was a promise. But every single time David turned around, there was somebody else trying to kill him. There was somebody else betraying him. He couldn't trust anybody. His mentor was coming after him. The king was coming after him. There was this, there was this, this, this horrible transition of life. But time and time and time again, he just continued to proceed. And every time he proceeded, every time he stayed, stayed faithful to the past, God always provided. And it wasn't just in times of attack. It was in times of lack. It was in times of tragedy. When, when David faced tragedy... He didn't allow the emotions, he didn't allow the pain, he didn't allow the depression and the anxiety to take over and, and walk him out. He just, even with the depression, even with the anxiety, he just proceeded on through it. And God always provided over and over and over again. And this is one we don't think about, but even in David's sin, he didn't run. He, even in David's sin, he continued to proceed down the path. He continued to keep walking down the path, and God always provided time and time and time again. Elijah's greatest victory in his entire life. He's in the middle of the people of Israel's hearts are being stolen by this false prophet, this, this false queen Jezebel and her idols and the prophets of Baal. And there were tons of them, and they were powerful. And, and Elijah felt inspired by the Lord to go to the mountain and challenge them before all the people. And this is an epic moment. Well, I mean, one, if, if it doesn't work out, they're going to kill him. That's that's besides that. If it doesn't work out, if it doesn't go, the people of Israel are going to walk completely away from God and follow after Jezebel and follow after the prophets of Baal. But Elijah challenged him. Elijah knew this is either going to work or I'm going to die. But he continued to proceed. He continued to go up and he built the altar and he even poured water all the way around the altar, believing in his heart, trusting God. And God poured down fire and gave him victory over all the prophets and the people of Israel turned to God. And that day it was one of his greatest victories. But provision only comes in the proceed. Provision only comes in the proceeding, even to the point of Jesus Christ standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, laying, I should say, in the Garden of Gethsemane with this pain, this emotion, knowing what's to come. And he even said, Father, if there's any other cup to drink, if there's any other direction to go, let's go that way, but your will be done. And Jesus Christ proceeded down the path, proceeded down the purpose, proceeded down the will of God all the way to death. And it was only in the procession to death that God was able to bring resurrection life to this world. You cannot look through. You will see a series of people, a serious story all throughout the Bible. Even in our own lives, you will see this. Those that proceed, God provides. Those that don't proceed, God doesn't provide. There is a power in proceeding. An absolute power in proceeding. One of the, the, the most powerful moments to me, it's one that we, it's, it's the first moment in the first generation when they, they come across and they get to this place, they don't have any water. And they run out of water. They're in a desert. It's not, you can't, you can't, just, can't just go get water in the desert. And they, they start to freak out and they go to Moses and they, they say, is God even with us? Is God even among us? 
Can God even do this? David referred to David's words when he looked back. He said, they said, can God even prepare a, a table in the wilderness? Can, is God even, despite all he had done, they, they still questioned. And they just said, we're going to die out here. We're going to thirst out here, us and all of our family. And Moses came to God and God said, walk on ahead of them. And he said, I'm standing. I'm, literally says, I'm standing before you at a rock. Hit the rock and I'll provide. If they had just trusted and they had just proceeded, God was already waiting to provide. I'm telling you, marriage is in today. Marriage is in today. Not because they're two imperfect people. We are always imperfect people. Marriage is in because we, keep, we quit proceeding down the faithfulness and the path of God. We quit proceeding. We miss out on our promises. We miss out on our purpose. We miss out on what God wants to do in our life because for whatever reason, tragedy, lack, attack, whatever it is, when we get to that river, when we get to those moments, we quit proceeding because we don't trust God. And then we do the worst thing any human being can do. We start thinking in our own, our own mindset and we start thinking up our own plan and our own plan of attack, our own plan of action. I'm telling you, this week, I'm not lying, I'm, I'm, I started writing, I'm writing a small book, it's very short, I'm going to put it out electronically in about three weeks, but it's called, How to Waste Your Life, Dying in the Desert Like the Pros. Seriously. There's a pattern there of what they did, and, and they, they literally continually concentrated on what they didn't have, saw that as proof and evidence that God either couldn't or would not provide, and then they immediately jumped back into their own power and their own mind and said, this is, this is, and begin to tell God what they're going to do, and they go out and they die in the desert. Over and over and over, they said, we're going to die in the desert, we're going to die in the desert, we're going to die in the desert, and guess what? They die in the desert. There's power in this proceeding. But this is the thing that I want you to understand. What separates what, what gives one man, one woman, one group the ability to proceed and another not? Why did one generation stand on the bank of the Jordan and not proceed over, knowing and believing that God will provide victory, that God would, whatever they face, God would be the provider, God would be the banner, God would be the healer, whatever it was, why did they not, what, what separated the first and the second generation? I mean, the reality of it is, if you go back and you look, that, that this wasn't like some of them were superhuman and some of them weren't. I think that's the idea that we kind of get painted. I got, we, we, we have this false image of people. I, I call it the social media uh, uh, disease because nobody posts the bad stuff about their life. If we were to go look at everybody's social media right now, every single one of us have an amazing, amazing life. We're like, got a raise today. New clothes. Big fish, got to hold it out and extend it, right? Everything's perfect. We always, we post the, we post the victory moments. We, our, 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 us and our wife, we're smiling, you know, being just, just like you just come off like a 30-day honeymoon, smiling. Right before that, like you had a rope in your hand and you were like, I can just, I can do this, <laughs> Right? But we, we have, I think that sometimes when we look at like David and we just think, you know, he's just this, 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 this he's just crazy, he's just this warrior king, he's just undefeated. I mean, but the reality of it is, if you go through and you look, Abraham, the same exact situation. Abraham had this, this pull and this tension all throughout the times waiting on Isaac. So much so that he wound up sleeping with another woman and produced Ishmael. And to this very day, because he did not wait, because he did not proceed in waiting on Isaac for God to provide Isaac, he created this, this issue. And God said, because you've sinned against me like this, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Israel, they will war. And to this very day, to this very second, 
That promise is still true. There's still war. They still battle each other to this very day. So it wasn't like Abraham was just this, this superhuman. There was, a, there was a tension. There was a struggle. There was something pulling him one way and something pulling him another way. And he failed at times and, and he succeeded at times. If you go through and you look at Elijah, I mean, he could have, he could have, I mean, I think, I think if, if, if we could diagnose clinical depression back in the day, Elijah had it. And I'm not, I'm not being funny. If you go through and you look at some of the things, especially in the later part of his life, I mean, I mean, he, he just, he just, he went to a dark place emotionally, spiritually. But what, what, this, this tension was there. He wasn't like superhuman. And if you go through and you read the Psalms, you will see that even though David proceeded, he would go through, I mean, anxiety was a part of his life. He said, I, I, I lay in the midst of my enemies and I am, I am, I am crushed on all sides. I am, I am literally, I don't have an, I, all I have left is just breathing in and out. But he would always finish. No matter how bad the first part seemed to be, he would finish with, but I trust you, Lord. It wasn't like he was, I mean, it was, I mean, the pain that he said, when he lost his child, the pain that he writes about in the Psalms, that emotion, I mean, that, that ruined him for a, a while. That was a, a deep, dark thing. But he, I trust you, Lord. Even Jesus. Even Jesus said that. And the Bible says that there was so much pressure, there was so much stress, there was so much anxiety, even in that moment that he literally sweated blood. I mean, he's laying there on his face before God. I mean, can you imagine knowing what's about to take place? And he says, Father, if there's, if there's, any, if there's any other cup, if there's any other path, I will take it. Let's go. But Father, if, if not, your will be done because I trust you. So it's not like, it's not like, and if, and if you go through and you study the lives of, of these people, the ones that fail and the ones that succeed, the ones that do well and the ones that don't, there is this common tension between them. There's this, there's this one part of them that's just like pulling one way and this other part that's pulling the other way. And sometimes they succeed and sometimes they didn't. And I want to, I want to, I want to talk to you about that this morning. I want to talk to you about that, that difference, that thing that sets a place. In the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus walks over to the, he specifically only took three disciples up there. One of them was, was Peter, and he walks back, and, and they're sleeping, and, and he says something to Peter that is a powerful thing that we, we talk about sometimes, but he gets ignored most of the time, but he, he makes this statement to Peter. It's a series of things. We'll get to the other in a minute, but he says this. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the thing that we've got to understand for believers, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you are a faithful follower of Christ, you, you've confessed him, you believe in your heart and you've confessed with your mouth, he's re he is the resurrected king, he is the Lord of your life, then, then the spirit of God is in you. But not, not just the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is there, but the Bible says when we get saved, we're raised to life. That we were dead in our sins and that we are alive in Christ. What's alive in us? The spirit. We're spirit, soul, and body. Your mind, your will, your emotions, that's your soul. Your spirit is that God part of you. That's the part that's dead in sin. And when you put your faith in Christ, he breathes that back. He raises that back to life, and that comes alive in us. It's the spirit. He says, that spirit in you, that spirit in you is willing. That's the thing I want you to understand. That word willing, what that means is ready to go. Literally, the definition is ready to go. Does not have opposition. Does not have resistance. There's nothing on the spirit that's holding it back. The spirit is ready to go. He said, but the flesh... The flesh is weak, and that word weak means insufficient, not enough, couldn't do it if you wanted to. 
Like if I tried to walk up and, 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 and I don't know, deadlift or curl, two totally different exercises, 500 pounds. I would think I was strong, but then if I go up and I try to do that, I would immediately know that I'm weak, that I'm insufficient, that I don't have what it takes to pick it up. So you've got your spirit that's willing, that's ready to go, no opposition, no resistance. And you've got your flesh that couldn't go even if you wanted to. I mean, this is deep. And I want you, I want you to think about this. Every single one of us, Abraham, David, the first generation, the second generation, Elijah, Jesus, you, me, especially followers of Christ, he goes, that spirit in you, you got this spirit in you that's ready to go. And I want you to think about this. There's a lot of you, man, you're ready. You right now, there's a part of you, no matter what God came to you with, no matter what God led you down, no matter what God spoke to your heart, no matter what idol God said to lay down, no matter what God, no matter what it was, there's a part of you that's ready to go. There's a part of you that's like, let's do this thing. There's a part of you that stands on the bank of the Jordan and you got your sword in one hand and your shield in one hand and all you're doing is just waiting on somebody to say go and you're going to run across. I mean, you're ready to take them out. There is a part of us. And this is the thing I want you to understand. The enemy tries to convince you that the willing spirit doesn't exist in you, but it does. Every single person in this room, every, if, you're, if your faith is in Jesus, there is something inside of you that says, let's go. There's something inside of you that has no problem taking anything up to the mountain and laying it down for God. There's, there's a part of you that there, 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 there is, there is this, this, this thing in you that, that if God said right now, I want you to go and preach to the nations, sell everything you want, give it all to the poor, go to Africa and die, there is a part of you that would not hesitate. But there's another part of you your flesh, that's weak, insufficient, couldn't do it if it wanted to, couldn't cross the Jordan if it wanted to, couldn't go into the promised land if it wanted to. It, it, it could not trust God if it wanted to. No matter how many times God proves himself, no matter how clear God's direction is, no matter what, it, it, the moment lack shows up, the moment attack shows up, the moment difficulty, the moment tragedy comes, the moment the flesh part of you is running the other direction, already making plans. The, the spirit part of you that's willing, it's got the sword and the shield and it's ready to go into the promised land, but the flesh in you is going, okay, how, how can I build a, a house in the desert? Let, forget that. Let's just go ahead and start digging our graves because this is ballgame. That, that's in, that, that, that is, Jesus says, that's in both of you. They're, they're both in you. You got this willing spirit in his flesh that is weak. I mean, go back to, to, to Joshua. The first generation, they, they ran in fear. They ran. They didn't trust God. They went out to the desert. They died. But even Joshua, the first chapter of Joshua, go read it. He's leading the second generation in. That first chapter, everybody loves so much. Do you realize what the theme is? Joshua is scared outside of his mind. And God's just like, just don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Just go. Just take courage. Just don't be afraid. Just cross. Just go. Why did God have to spend all that time making it over and over and over again? Because he was afraid. He trusted God. He believed, but he was afraid. He had fear. Even in that moment right there, there's that willingness that from when he was younger, and he said, let's charge the promised land. Let's go. We can take it. To now when he's older, he's still there. That spirit that's still there, that willingness is still there, but there's, a, there's that flesh part of him that's afraid, and God's like, just trust me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's the spirit in you that's willing to do whatever, go wherever, lay down whatever, Succeed, do whatever God brings you to, and whatever comes against you, you will proceed through to the provision of God and to the victory of God. But then there's that flesh. 
And there's just this tension. Galatians says the spirit and the flesh are contrary one to another. Galatians 5. And it says they, they literally, they contrary, they contend. There's tension between them. That's why every time you're presented with an opportunity, you're presented with a decision, you're presented with a, uh, an opportunity to fight with your wife or fight with your husband, you're presented with an offer to opportunity to sin, you're presented with an opportunity to, to fall into tragedy, to go in this direction. There's, there's always this, this spirit that is willing and this flesh that is weak. So what tips the scales? What, 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 what throws it the other way? What, what empowers the spirit to take over and to keep going? What, what shuts the flesh up? Jesus says it. He says, prayer. He comes over and he says, watch and pray. Because the spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. He says, watch and pray. So you do not fall into temptation. So you not enter into temptation so that you are not. And it's specifically what he's talking to Peter about is he says, in just a little while, he had already told him, he said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And you are going to be put under the trial and the test and the temptation of a lifetime to deny me in my greatest moment. And he says, Peter, I want you to know the spirit in you is willing. But your flesh is weak. And he said, but there is prayer. And if you pray, it will tip the scales in the weight of that willing spirit. And you will not fall into temptation. You will not fall back to Egypt, fall back to the desert. You will proceed into the promised land. And and if you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you did grow up in church, but you have a more religious view of prayer, it's just something on a checklist, it's something you do before dinner, it's something you do at church, it's, you've never really had a prayer, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. And you're, 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 it's difficult for you to see the correlation. But if you go through and, and you see the Bible's view of prayer, it's a supernatural, crazy, powerful thing. Why do you think Judas knew where to find Jesus Christ in that moment? Because that's where he went to pray all the time. How many times does Scripture say that, that Jesus went to the mountain to pray, went down to the ground, went to the garden, went to the Mount of Olives, went over here, got away, woke up early and went away from the people, went, went away? Why? Why? Because there was significant power in prayer. There was so much power in, in the way that Jesus prayed that his disciples came to him and he said, dude, we know about prayer, but you, you do something different teach us how to do what you do because there's there's something there's something different we pray we do we pray i mean we do the pray thing we, we do that but there's there's maybe even what you do maybe it's not I don't, we don't understand it teach it to us and he says something before he gets to the famous lord's prayer he says something before that matthew 6 6 he said when you pray he said go into a room close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father sees in secret and rewards. Now some of the translations may, may say unseen, but that, that word, they're the same word. And they mean the same thing. Almost never means unseen. Almost always means secret, hidden. And he says, this, this is, and I want you to just understand the power of what Jesus is saying. He said, when you pray, you go into a room, you close the door, you, you, you section it off. This is a, a secret place. This is a, this is a secret zone. And the only one there is you 
and the Father. The presence and the power of God. And he says, and you begin to pray in that moment. You begin to pray to God. And the Father who created the universe, the, the creator of the universe, the creator of your life, the creator and the Savior, the great, mighty God of all gods, King of all kings, in that moment, he takes notice. He takes attention. He's there with you. He sees that. And when he sees what is done in secret, then he rewards and he acts, then he moves. And the thing that I want you to understand, I want you to understand that the, the, the connection here and what Jesus is saying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's saying there, there is a, there's a spirit in you that is very willing, that's ready to go, that has no opposition to do what God's called you to do, to live a faithful life, to stay in your marriage, to stay in, to proceed, to not give in to temptation, to not give in to an alternate lifestyle, to go and to stay strong before the Lord. But there is a flesh in you that is extremely weak. And he said the difference is the one that's going to tip the scales of the one, there's no other way. I mean, there's, there's no other thing in Scripture that anybody lays forward except for this one idea of prayer. You pray and there's something that takes place when you get alone with the God who created you and you begin to lay things down before him, there is something powerful, supernatural, outside of our realm of knowledge and understanding that takes place that somehow empowers the spirit in you, the willing spirit in you, and gives you the power to proceed down to where God can provide for you. There's something that takes place. There, 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 there's there's this, this power, and I want to tell you why. Prayer is the greatest act of faith a human being can do. Because I want you to understand what I just said to you. You go into a room and you close the door and you pray to a God you've never seen. And you begin to put things before him. And it physically, spiritually, and emotionally puts your trust in God. I, 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 want, you, I want you to hear me. You guys got, got some marriage issues going on. You got some job issues going on. You got some, some things going on in your life. You got some things going on with your kids. You got some stuff going on. I'm telling you, and you, you will go to every other source in the world. You will sit and meditate in hours in your own strength and your own wisdom trying to come up with a game plan. You will try to figure out life. I mean, you will get the business advice. You'll get the, you'll call the, the Dr. Phil's of the world. You'll try to get counseling. You'll read books. You'll get on Google. You'll do all that other stuff. And what you're saying in that moment, I want you to hear me if you don't hear anything else. What you're saying in that moment is there's something stronger, better, more. Uh, more faithful out there for me to go to in this time of need than God. And in that moment, whatever you run to in those moments, whatever you run to when fear sets in, whatever you run to when tragedy sets in, whatever you run to when marriage issues show up, whatever run to when, when lack and attack shows up, whatever you run to in that moment, even if that's yourself, that's where your trust is. But when you come into a room and, and, and you close the door behind you and you enter into the presence of God and you begin to lay down, you, what you're saying to God is, God, I trust you with this. God, I, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I cannot begin to understand this. But God, I trust that you are a good God and I trust that you are a great God. So I'm laying this down before you and I'm praying, Father, I want to proceed. I want to go. I want to fight. I want to take. I'll lay it down, God. There's a part of me that wants to, but there's another part. So I'm bringing this before you, Father. I'm laying this down before you. I, want, I trust that you are God. I trust that you are the King. I trust that you are good. I trust that you are great. You can do this, Father. And then you get up and you just keep proceeding on. Prayer does not so much change the will of God as much as it pulls you into the will of God. Prayer does not so much change what's on the other side of the river as much as it prepares you spiritually, emotionally to walk across there even unto death. Do you know who I think the most faithful people in almost the entire Bible are? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They stood before the king. They said, everybody needs to bow down to this, this idol, this giant idol, this statue. And everybody did. And they said, not us. They said, we're going to throw you in the fire. We're going to throw you in the furnace. And he said, this was their response. Let me tell you something. My God, my God can deliver us from that fire. My God can deliver us from that furnace. I know he can. But even if he does not, that is where I'll die because I will never bow down to you. That's faith. That's trust. Right? That, that's that, that moment when you just come in to say, when you lay down. I mean, what did Jesus say? Jesus laid down in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Father, I know what's ahead of me. I know the path you have me on. I know what's going on. And I want to proceed. If there's any other way, let's do that. But if not, I trust you. Your will be done. He got up with a heavy heart. He walked down. He faced the trial. He faced the persecution. Then he hung on a cross, died for your sins. And then God provided resurrection life, not just for him, but for all of us. Because he proceeded when no one else would have. Let me tell you why other people. Let me tell you why your kids. Let me tell you why the next generation. Let me tell you why the person sitting next to you is going to live out your promise and live out your purpose. Because they are going to proceed where you choose to go back and die in the desert. And it's not because they're better than you. It's not because they're stronger than you. It's because they figure this one thing out that is absolutely... I don't understand what the heck is happening, but I know that God is God. And I'm telling you right now, if there's one pattern in my life that I held to since I was, a, I was 18, no matter what I'm faced, I pray and I get up and I proceed. No matter what, and God always provides. I pray and I proceed and God provides. I pray and I proceed and God provides. Abraham prayed and he proceeded and God provided. Elijah prayed and he proceeded and God provided. Jesus prayed and he proceeded and God provided. You are going to have these moments. You're going to face these same decisions, face same tragedy, same temptation, same, same tests, same things in life. And I'm going to tell you right now, your flesh is too weak for you to make it without a face-to-face -face relationship with the God who created you. And that only takes place in prayer. And this is not, I'm telling you, this is the, the average human being doesn't understand this, doesn't get this, doesn't believe this. And that's why the average human being dies in the desert. It doesn't change the world. When you pray, you put it all in the hands of God. And then when you proceed, it's in your prayer that God prepares your heart to be able to proceed. And when you proceed, God hands provision, and victory, and power. It's in the proceeding that God provides. But 99% of us will not proceed. Because our spirit, spirit is willing, our flesh is weak. And he says, you come before me in prayer. And I will empower you to proceed wherever I call you. And I will provide for you. If there is one thing you need in your life, it is a genuine, powerful prayer life. Not a checklist prayer. Not a, not a praying while you're putting makeup on, listening to music. Where you walk into a room, you close the door behind you with the expectation that on the other side is the God of the universe. When I walk in here, this, this is just a room with some chairs in it. When I walk in here early in the morning and I shut those doors and it's just me 
this becomes a powerful secret place with the presence and the power of God. Your bedroom's just a bedroom, but you walk in, you close that door, it becomes heaven. It becomes the presence of God. I encourage you, I challenge you, chase God. It's in the proceeding that God will provide, but we will not proceed if we do not first put our trust in God through prayer. If you guys will stand.